morning, believers. Happy Sunday morning. We're only about three weeks away before we get to come home back in our house. July 5th. Today, this morning, David McIntyre is with us and it's going to be good. We're doing what I've encouraged you to do. We are going to have some conversation around. I'm going to start over because I just swallowed a hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. That's, I'll just see it Who's on my Amber? phone, too. Oh, I'm like, why would he tell yeah, us about f- an alert? I'm like, okay, sorry. <laughs> Amber. Oh, that's so good. Oh, there it is. I used yeah, to live in Yeah, you just Clarkston. got yours. Are Amber Alert's done yet? Yeah. His is going off now. When we first moved here to Georgia back in 1995, we lived in Clarkston, right under Sonoma really? Mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's where we found out that the KKK was up the street. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, you better move. <laughs> just know that we're not going to go past this mark. Yeah, never. Happy Sunday morning, Believers Church. I'm excited today because we have David McIntyre with us. It's going to be a great thing. We're doing what I've encouraged everybody to do. Take the sermon that I put out last week, and hopefully you've been having great conversations. I know I've been hearing back from some of our B groups, and uh, man, people are just hashing it out, talking it out from uh, different ethnic and racial perspectives. What I love the most that I'm hearing back is after it's all done and the opinions are, you know, kind of laid out, uh, the gospel is taking over, and I like that a lot. So welcome. We're glad you're here. It's going to be good this morning. I hope it challenges you again. I hope it challenges you to sit down with your children, have some good conversations. David and I have been talking about this uh, for a long time, actually. A dear friend of mine from the time I met him uh, just is a uh, passionate man for the Word of God, and I like that because he always comes back to the gospel. And I'll usually shoot him a phone call, text him, and just say, hey, what what do you think? Give me your perspective. And So thank you. you. You always help me as a shepherd to remind me it is about the gospel, and, I, and man, I'm grateful for that. Hey, July 5th, we come home. We're back in the building here. Yep, I'm excited about it. It's going to be a good day, and uh, I got two surprises that day, so I'm going to hold off, but you'll want to be here. It's Independence Day weekend. <laughs> it's Independence Day weekend, and it's going to be fun. We just got a great weekend planned for you. So July 5, invite a friend uh, and make effort to be here. Because I believe not only is it freedom for our nation, I believe God's put a good word on my heart, and I'm excited to come back and see you. We miss you. We miss seeing you, but our groups are moving forward. We're building community. I'm back in the Mexican restaurants uh, (laughs) uh, just meeting with friends, having a good time. Uh, Believers U has kicked off, and I guess we had 35 people here on Wednesday night. So we would love to have you 715 every Wednesday night. We dig it out deep mm-hmm. and uh, it is good. And then a bunch of us go out afterwards and fellowship and hang out together usually. And then f- Saturdays at 515. I think one of the greatest things we can do is pray together. So yeah. I invite you out to that. And uh, man, I want you to be passionate to pray, passionate about the word. Mm-hmm. And again, that's why I've had David come because I know he's passionate about both. So I'm just going to jump right in, David, share with you what's been on my heart uh, with all that's been going on. And uh, my passion is to tie all that to the gospel. I love taking, uh, I've never been really nervous about perspectives, like if somebody agrees with me or doesn't or various opinions. I've never, I've never felt threatened by that. As a matter of fact, I like it. I like people to have different opinions because it helps me uh, craft uh, how the gospel fits in our generation. Right. 
right. and uh, to be able to give an answer. So even when somebody says something that challenges me and I don't have an answer, I'm never nervous about it. I just right. run home and I get in the word, God speak to me. And there have been times I've had to change. And there have been times I've had to readjust according to what scripture says right. versus what right. culture says or my feelings say. So we're going to jump in 1 Peter chapter 4, New Living Translation I'm going to read from. We're going to be studying 1 Peter chapter 4 all week long in our uh, groups. Our Bible reading plan for the week is 1 Peter chapter 4. And whew, it's a serious Good chapter, 19 verses, I think it is. Let's jump right in. I'm going to read all of it. So I would encourage you to get a Bible out uh, and just listen. Let it soak into your heart. Let the Word find good ground. And then I got a couple of comments, and I want to ask you a question. Okay. Uh, and get some of your godly wisdom on how we as Christians in the church can really pursue um, the kingdom right. and what's going on. Verse 1, 1 Peter 4. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude He had and be ready to suffer too. Mm. For if you've suffered physically for Christ, you've finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. They slander you. But remember that you will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. This is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. The end of the world is coming soon. I kind of think it may be Tuesday. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. Use them well to serve another, yes. one another. Do you have a gift of speaking? Then speak as though God Himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Mm -hmm. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. For the time has come for judgment, yes. and it must begin with God's household. Mm. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who've never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to the godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you, for He will never fail you. 
<laughs> that's, just, that's just such great stuff. It's loaded. And it's convicting. It is it's loaded. loaded. Um, here's my thinking on it, and then I, I want to throw a question to you. Um, you know, I've, I've never been a person of politics other than, you know, I vote. I do my, I do my American duty. You know, I, I've never gone out and put signs in my yard. Right. and You know, but I, I'm glad I live in America, and I'm glad every four years they give me an opportunity to pick, and right. I choose who I think will be the best president, and I vote. Um, but I believe my passion that, that I really, like, I give all my energy to is what this says. Uh, he says, for a time is come for judgment, it must begin yes, with God's house. Yes. I've always had a passion for God's house and people. And I do get irritated, <laughs> you know, when I see things that I'm like, man, God's people aren't living the gospel. I even said to Robin the other day, I said, I feel like I'm frustrated because I pastor in a generation where truth is subjective. Mm -hmm. Truth is my experience now. And it's not the Bible, it's my experience, it's right. my feelings. And then right. if you stand up and say, but the Bible says, you know, and that was one of my comments in the message last week, that demonic teaching that the Bible's kind of pushed aside for the Christian and my experiences, my upbringing, right. um, my feelings become my gospel. And, you know, I, so I've, I've really wrestled with how, how do we respond as Christians? Because as a Christian, you, you don't want to come across as a jerk. Right. You don't want to come across as wielding a sword, chopping ears off. Well, the Bible says, right. you know, but I read what it said here. It said, you're probably going to be insulted and mm. persecuted because you believe you're right. a Christian. Uh, you and I were just talking about Chris Hodges from the Highlands. I mean, mm -hmm. he is, he's going through himself. His church is uh, just a, a persecution from kind of a mob mentality right. that doesn't view Christianity the way he does. And maybe they're irritated at something, but it's kind of the first time, at least in the Bible Belt, that I've ever thought, wow, there is a real big chance we go through persecution. Yeah. You know, I've grown up in the South. We all kind of have a, a high tolerance for church people, right. you know. And so looking at the gospel, looking at what I see in my nation, okay, I, you know, I understand what's going on in the nation. I try to address it, uh, whether that's culturally, racially, but I, I'm really passionate about what's going on inside the body, right. the church, uh, specifically here on the corner. Um, and this is what the two passages that really pop out is I have this profound desire to fix people. Like if, if something's broken, I just have, I want to fix it. I, right. I just want to fix it. I want right. to fix it. And when I realize I can't fix it, I get frustrated. Right. And then I look at what's going on and I just have this overwhelming, I'll never fix this. But I think that's a healthy place because it puts us to, is it even fixable? And right. you and I both know it is. Right. So Paul, uh, this is Galatians 2 verse 11 all the way through uh, you know, 11, about verse 14 especially. Paul comes to Peter and says, I'm sorry, I had to rebuke him. He wasn't mm -hmm. acting in line with the yep. truth. I had to rebuke him to his face. And, and I see that in a lot of Christians is, they're so passionate about what's happening around them that they slide away from living the truth of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And my feelings become my gospel. And so Paul, which is a strange thought, has to rebuke Peter and says, man, I had to look at him in his face and say, you're not acting in line with the right. gospel. Right. And so, you know, that desire in me to fix things 
I've understood that the reality of that is I just have to bring people back to the gospel. Right. I have to let the Holy Spirit do His work. Mm. It's not my job to change a heart. It's just my job to preach the gospel. Right. And this is just loaded up with uh, end time, you know, thinking, cultural thinking, what's going on around us. How do you see that the church practically takes the gospel out? Man, our work, our, let's, let's just start in the home. Just in the home, uh, you know, there's so many, well, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I read my Bible but their gospel is the way daddy raised them. Mm-hmm. Their gospel is, well, what mama told me. Right. And their gospel is really not based on truth. It's just an experience. Uh, uh, I pastored a church in South Georgia, and I was amazed at how many Bible reading, tongue talking people had racist mentalities to mm-hmm. them. There was a great gentleman in my church who just was blatant. Black people need to stay there. White people need to stay there. They don't need to marry. He was talking about marriage. And oh, he's quoting scripture from the Old Testament. And I'm looking at that thinking, this is a problem. You know, we could say racism. We can say deep south, it's deep. But what I begin to notice, it's a problem with the gospel. Like, we just interpret it ourselves anyway. It's like, well, the Bible says, well, that's just what you think. I think this. And so that weird moment that here we are in an independent church where truth is just so relative, it's subjective. Uh, you think it says this, I think it says this, and you know, and we just can kind of hash it out. So in that model, you know, I laugh a lot because the Catholic Church, whatever the Pope says, is it. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. But in an independent, spirit-filled church. If I don't like what you say, I just leave, go down the street, start my own church right. with my own truth. Right. And so now we have churches on every corner who kind of all have a little nugget of truth. And then we stand up and say, well, we got to preach truth. Right. Well, I don't like your truth, so bye, I'm leaving. Right. How, do we address, how do we address this cultural mentality, this racial mentality? This Well, let's just leave culture and race. This Christian mentality that truth is just subjective now, I mean, how do, how do we practically begin to address it from your thinking? You know, there's a great uh, scripture. I think it's uh, Colossians 2 and 7. And it talks about being rooted and grounded in the faith, right? And if you look out across, at least from my perspective, if you look out at the church right now, what we see is a lot of people being blown about with every wind. Oh, sure. There's a There's a protest wind over here there's this wind over here and we have the church blown all over the place why is that it's because we are not rooted and grounded in faith which starts with our relationship with the lord and being connected to this word and you take the stuff like what we have going on right now with these riots and and the whole black lives matter situation and all of that good stuff and you have to come back and look and ask the question, how do we get here? And I'm talking, I want, you know, I'm talking to the church right now. I'm not talking to the world and just sure. average every day, but in the church. And the reality is, is that the church is guilty of departing from the word. Because if we stay connected to the word, there's no reason, there's no way within the church 
we could allow racism and division and some of the things that we have allowed to happen to happen. It's just not, it's not possible if we're connected to the word and we have to, you know, I always say that it, it doesn't matter. Think of it like this. The church is, needs marriage counseling right now because we have this situation going on where <laughs> you've got one part of the couple saying, you've damaged me, you've done this, you've done that. And then you've got the other side of the couple that's like, no, I didn't. Uh -uh, when did I do that? And you've, you've consulted and worked with couples and you, you, you see they just go at this point and at some point, somebody's gotta give the rope. And somebody's gotta come to a place where they say, you know what, let's start with this. I admit, that I wasn't paying you the attention that you told me you wanted me to pay you. And I realized that's a source of your frustration. In the same way, if we're going to heal some of these things in the church, we've got to come to the place where we first of all say, you know what, in several ways we've missed it. But my take on that is, you know, looking at it and go, okay, let's start at the church, right? But the, the typical thinking is, all right, the church is the issue, so the preacher wants to fix it. Mm. Uh, and I think it's a preacher problem because what happens when you have leaders who are afraid to preach truth yeah. because I'm going to get disliked, I'm going to get a mob attack, I'm going to get defriended, I'm going to lose people, I, I, that's going to affect my offerings, right. I've got to pay my building payments, and this is my... Into one there, didn't you? Right? So until the pastors stand up and go, it's just truth, and I'm going to give you the truth, not in a mean way, but just right. I'm going to I'm preach tell you the, the truth as it's written. Unapologetically. Right. And if I lose people, I lose people, which right. sounds rude. Right. Like I don't care about people. I do care about people. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing ministry. I genuinely love people. But the challenge is a shepherd who leads a house. And, you know, and I don't have millions and millions of debt. I don't have big buildings. Right. I don't have hundreds of thousands of followers. I'm not a mega church. But can you imagine the pressure on preachers when my salary, my money, my building payment, my staff, my health care is based on the kind of message? And so you just said, you know, how did we get here? Well, I think we got here from 30 years of preaching a watered down, uh, I don't want to step on your toes. I don't want to talk about repentance, the blood. Uh, the Holy Spirit. Right. I just want to kind of have a good psychological gospel, feel good about yourself, right. be blessed, which nothing wrong with that. God wants you blessed. But now we're looking around going, I love what you said. Like, what happened? How did we get here? And I think we got here slowly. It's Jesus in Revelation 2. He says to the church of Ephesus, he said, look, I just have a little problem. You don't love me like you did at first, right. which is a, a strange thing, you know. So how do we I don't know. I mean, what you just said reminds me of something, though. It's Paul in Galatians mm -hmm. when he comes to the Galatians and he says, I am astonished mm -hmm. that you have so easily gone away. And he says to another gospel, which is not really another gospel, right. but it was a gospel that those people were preaching for their benefit, their benefit. And they were content to use the people for their benefit and their gain. Mm -hmm. And Paul saw that happening in Galatians. And what you just described is a similar thing. Some people preaching another gospel, a gospel crafted to make sure the offering mm -hmm. 
is good. A gospel that's crafted to make sure that guy down there on the front seat, he doesn't get mad at me and come into my office later on and tell me I'm a heretic. Or that gospel that was preached, you know, we talked about earlier, you know, that rightfully some people get upset about, you know, the whole concept of Hagar represented black people and Sarah represented white people. Well, that was preached in churches mm -hmm. at some point, right? Mm -hmm. So we have this whole background and it's not, and here's the other thing. We got to be careful not to say everybody didn't preach that. Exactly. There are a lot of people who have preached the truth from beginning to now. And it's, it's dangerous to us as a church to try to sweep everyone mm -hmm. into kind of this big hole. It's just like, I, I can't, sweep you into a big hole just because you're white. Right. And I would dare say you wouldn't sweep me into a big hole just because I'm black. Yeah. We gotta be careful not to do that mm -hmm. as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. But if we're gonna fix this, if we're gonna set it right, we gotta start where Jesus started. And it goes back to me, I was, uh, it starts with this simple thing and it's the preacher, it's the people in the pews, right? Because mm -hmm. here's another problem that we've had. The people in the pews, have left the studying and understanding of the word to the guy who stands behind the pulpit and acted as though we as the people have had no responsibility to know the word for ourselves. We're just supposed to show up, let the preacher preach us. We say, preacher, good word. We walk out and live our lives and that we don't have any additional responsibility about anchoring ourselves to the word because when we have to stand before the Lord, he's not gonna say, well, let's talk about what Mark preached to you. He's going to talk about what I preached to me, what I read, what I dug into. But if we're going to start to fix all of this, and it's, it's wide scoping, it's not just race, it's not just culture, it's, it's having the heart of God in the church. We've got to start off with love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your soul, all of your might, and all of your strength. And then the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And if we don't start from that place again, we've got to renew to that place. I don't know how we begin to fix all of the other problems. Well, somebody might say, well, here we go. Those are the Christians talking about the answer is love. Well, you're exactly right. But it's not this fluffy love that is preached out and about. You know, we I was telling you a couple days ago, you have all of these people that love to share this scripture, they will know we are Christians by our love. And that sounds really good. But notice it said our love for one another. And that's why judgment starts in the house first, because we're going to have to be judged by whether or not we've done our part right. to love one another. I have a question then. So it, judgment begins in the house, right? I When all this went down, I... I, I had conversations with people I highly respect. You're one of them. Mm -hmm. I call you and say, hey, what do you think? Uh, the elders of this house here that I run things by, my parents, Robin, people that I've tried to surround myself with, right? And I said, would you just pray with me? Pray for me. I didn't really say about anything. I said, just, just that I lead right. That, that was my, I just want to lead right. I don't want to lead wrong. I don't want to get emotional. And every one of them called or texted back and said, hey, I was praying for you. And the Lord said, right? So I thought, okay, well, I'll listen and see what they say. But when it came through all of them, I thought, well, that's weird. They either all talked right. or they really genuinely prayed for me. Right. 
and the Lord. And every one of them said, Pastor, I feel like the Lord told me to encourage you to preach the gospel. You may lose some people, but preach the gospel. Right. The second one, Pastor, I felt like the Lord told me to encourage you to preach the gospel. You may lose some people, but preach the gospel. I would be okay with one or two, but we're talking six to seven right. people. So it says here that judgment comes. So, you know, I'll just say to everybody listening, I, I am doing my best to preach the gospel. I even try to say in my messages, this might sting a bit. Right. I even try to be honest and go, I myself just had to repent. You know, I try, right. I try right. not to preach it. I try to live it and then preach it after I've lived it out. But uh, from a practical standpoint, you know our kind of church. Well, I don't like what I'm hearing. I'm leaving. So how does judgment come to the house when we can just leave if we don't like something? If, if I don't like what you said, I don't like, I don't, that scripture hurts me. That scripture, well, it's a double-edged sword, right? right. Um, and I think the beauty, I said this to somebody not long ago, the beauty of being planted in a body is that over a long period of time, right. you genuinely mature. Mm -hmm. And, and I find that so, you, I love what you said. You said, we got to ask how we got here. Right. Well, I would say we got here because we were afraid to preach truth as shepherds and leaders. Yeah. And I would say we got here because we as people don't like to plant. Yeah. We don't want to go through a hard time. We don't want to have to be confronted with my racist or, or my carnal thinking right. or my, my lustful living. I just want to find a place where I can hide and be comfortable. So as a body of believers here on the corner, you're part of this house. You're definitely part of my life as a friend. You love the Word of God. What would your, you know, because I say, you know, have conversations, and in those conversations, man, look for... Uh, redemptive kingdom things, right? So I don't want to just have a conversation today with you acknowledging and me acknowledging, and but a redemptive conversation. What would your, from your heart, say to a body of people who are watching? And some will share the video. And what would you say to a body of people when we're hungry for the gospel, we're desperate for truth today, not just feelings? How would you address that to a church? What you through First Peter four, you know what stuck out to you? It's like oh that oh ooh you know, <laughs> as we read it that you you could say well let's just talk about this and and what what the Lord wants to say to our church. Uh, now maybe people who don't go here will listen to it, but for our people that's why I ask you to come is is I want to start with our house, right. and then if if our house gets healthy, well we'll be healthy in our fifty feet. Right. But if we're not healthy, our 50 feet's not healthy. So how would, you, uh, how would you address that to a body of people who we're, we love the word here, you know, we love the Holy Spirit. We have people from all walks of life right, right. and from different denominations, you know, and, um, and I'm, I'm trying to do the best I can as a leader to preach it, but give me your thoughts. Yeah, we, first of all, we recognize that when this scripture talks about judgment is coming to the church, it's not just talking about the building and the church, but it's talking about the body of believers. So there is no running. You can go to a hundred churches, but the Lord knows you. He'll always find you. And He knows where those areas that need help are. So the first way to heal the house 
starts with healing the individual heart. Because individually, we have to come to this place where we judge ourselves. The word says, judge yourself and you will not be judged. So we've got to evaluate ourselves. Are there things in my heart that I need to deal with? Was I hurt umpteen years ago when this person said this to me, when that person said that to me? Have I been harboring that hurt? And every time I see somebody who looks like that, I'm reminded of the hurt that I experienced back in the day. And I need healing from that. That's where we go to God. And that's one of the beautiful things about communion. The communion table gives us a place to come and lay those things before God and says, yeah, Lord, I have had some hard feelings towards Mark, not because Mark did anything to me, but back in the day, the guy who called me that word looked just like it. And so I judge you. So it starts with the heart. The second part is actually in these scriptures. There's several things. First of all, number verse seven. It says, but the end of, I'm reading the King James. I'm, yeah. I'm that guy. Yeah, you're, you're sweet, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. It's interesting. If you dig into the Greek of those words, sober and watch, it's like Peter doubled down. He said, be sober. In other words, be of a sound mind, mm-hmm. right? And then it says, and watch, which means be sober. So it's like he's doubling down. And what is he saying be sober about? Be mindful of what's going on, not only in you, but what's going on around you. And then watch unto prayer. Be sober and pray. And we got to talk about that because part of self-evaluation says we go before God and we lay ourselves wide open. And David said it like this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit. But then we've got to be willing to pray and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? I repent of this. Now that this is behind me, what would you have me to do? But here's the, here's the, you talk, you've been talking about the doctrine of demons, right? The doctrines of demons is our prayer doesn't work. Or it's the weakest thing. It's we can the weakest do. thing to do. Right, don't give me your prayers. But <laughs> it's the, it's the, it is the first, the middle, and the last right? It is the strongest thing I can do to go to my heavenly father and say, daddy, we need help with this. I need wisdom for this. I need to know how to move and how to groove. And the most important part, it is my prayer that informs my action. Mm -hmm. I can't just take random action because it's my emotion. The word tells us that the heart, the heart is deceitful. It's deceitful. So I can't just jump off on my heart because my heart will have me out in the streets when where God intends me to be is at home teaching my children how to walk and govern themselves in this. So we've got to self-evaluate. We've got to pray and ask God not only for forgiveness, but we've also got to ask him for what steps to take. And then if we look on as we go through Peter, then what does he say here? He says, uh, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Love. But he doesn't just say, "Have oh, Mark, I love you. It's sure. not that. He's talking about a tense, fervent, deep love for one another that creates this bond that becomes unbreakable between us because we're loving one another zealously the way the Lord says. And then he walks us right into the next thing. He says, use hospitality one towards another without grudging. 
So let's open our door. We talk about having conversations. The only way we can have a conversation is if we open the door mm -hmm. to one another and invite each other in. That's not only the door of our hearts, but also the door of our homes. But, but my comment to that is it's hard to open the door and have a conversation when my perception of you is you're the one that's wrong. That's a great place I, to start I, with the conversation. I, I have to start with it's me. And, and I'm not talking about racially. I'm talking about as a it's human. Anything, it's yeah. my heart. Right. Um, you know, I have to re repent. And I'm not a counselor, but in my years of working with married couples, you know, they'll come and sit on the couch. And what they're after, I often wonder if it's healing or if they just want me to tell them which one's right and which That's one's wrong. That's exactly right. I just want you to tell her she's wrong. I want you to tell him, right. she, you know. Right. And, and I'm like, oh, okay. I'm, Forget I'm, my I'm, stuff. I'm not here it's to be her. a referee. But... But I think it really is true. I think one thing we can do as a church is we don't deny what's going on around us. We but we look inward and say, let it start with me first. Because the if moment I, we deny what's going on, we open the door to be deceived. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. On. Absolutely. And, and I have to look in and go, and I did that, you know, when all this went on with just everything from the virus down to the uh, all the racial with the with George Floyd murder and you know, before I jump on a bandwagon of, uh, of whatever it would be, or before I really get involved with an issue socially or take action, I always look in and go, okay, God, man, it's a time for me to look in and check me. So I think that's the first thing, right. like you say, that's, that's a practical thing is look in the mirror because it's hard to have a conversation with somebody who thinks differently than you if you've already prejudged them before the conversations right. ever even began. Yeah. And, and, you know, we do that as humans, but as Christians, I don't need to prejudge a conversation. And a lot of times, I know I've been married 30 years in July, and sometimes in, in our disagreements as a husband and wife, I'd say, well, why didn't you say that? And she would say back to me, I already knew what you were going to say. Mm. And I'm like, wait a minute, you didn't, <laughs> you didn't talk to me because you already prejudged what you thought I would say, yeah. but didn't even give me a chance to say, to it. say it. And I think that's kind of, especially racially, that can be among Christians. Right. I've prejudged you already. Right. I'm already scared to have a conversation with you because I already think you think what I think about right. what I think you think about me. And I've already prejudged that. So I don't even want to have a conversation because now I, I even said that before. I said, it's, it's not that I have a bad thought about David. I love you. But the, my problem is what I think David thinks about me. And so it would keep me from having a conversation. Well, what if he thinks that I think? And, and so I think we just have to lay that down. We and we have to it's be bold. Yeah, that, that word love. I got to love my brother enough to have a hard conversation. Right. And you got to be, you know, that hard conversation happens on two sides. Mm -hmm. Because just as much as one person has to lay aside themselves to have the conversation and say, you know what? I, I'll tell it to you in this format. Many years ago, my wife and I, we were at a predominantly black church. My wife is white. And um, I had a young lady walk up to me and laugh in my face uh, during a service. Uh, we were walking down the aisle and she walked up and literally this close, laughed in my face. And I'm like, that's strange. And then a couple of years later, that young, same young lady came back to me. She said, you know what? A couple of years ago, I did that to you. And she said, I did it because I was mad at you because you're married to that woman. And I'm trying to figure out why would you marry that woman when you could be married to me or someone else like that. Mm -hmm. And she said, but I realized my heart wasn't right. Mm -hmm. 
And God's been dealing with me on that. And I want to repent to you for doing that. We both have to be ready to have the conversation. We can't say, like in this stuff we're dealing with, I can't say to you as a white person, you know, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to tell you my thoughts about this. And your job is to just sit down, be quiet and take it. Don't ask any questions. I've seen that advice given out there on social media. That is not the gospel. There's nothing relational about that. There's nothing healing about that. There's nothing that allows us to grow and learn. Because ultimately, the real answer to some of this stuff is that we have got to get better at relationship with one another. It's we're out of fellowship with God. And because we're out of fellowship with God, we're out of fellowship with one another. And because we're out of fellowship with one another, we don't know how to get along. And because we don't know how to get along, now we're, we're, we're just setting the whole place on fire. Not because, well, let me just be careful here. Because we have emptiness inside of us that is supposed to be filled with our relationship with the Lord and supplemented with our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And within the church, we're not supposed to be divided. We're supposed to be one as he is one. But we see the church sometimes reflects the world and we're separated. And we all know that those of us who love the Lord, we all know something's wrong with that. Mm-hmm. We know that there's something missing and we've got to fix it. Yeah. Fix we have it. a little joke here at the church, uh, a song, you know, around love, power and community. We sing this real dorky love, power and community, you know. But I, I think that spot on with where we start to bring yeah. healing is relationship. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I've told you, but I did on the sermon. I felt like God spoke to me, come off social media and quit posting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was all over it. Like, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that. Say I'm that gonna, again for the people in the back. Yes, I was come <laughs> off social media and stop posting. Right. So I took, and I may take longer, but I've taken the month of June just to, man, clean my, cleans my, clean my mind and, and really rethink the kingdom gospel. And, you know, the thing about it is I realized it was so much easier to share, post, and comment than it was to shut it off and call somebody and go, you want to have lunch? Right. You want to have a relationship? Right. And so as a shepherd, you're right that the way this heals is relationship. It is. But if I don't come to church but once a month or every two months and I'm not plugged into a group and I casually stroll in late and I casually run out the door early, it's hard for the body to ever heal what's going on in the world because I'm not plugged in. I'm not having deep relationships with people. I have very superficial, shallow relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to run in. I want the preacher to say something to ease my conscience. I want to give Chicken God. I want to give God my tithe or my offering to feel better about yes, myself, and I'm gone. Right. And so you you look at this and say, well, man, if God's going to begin at the house, there's just a, there's a lot of stuff in His house. That has to be cleaned up. And that lack of passion for his house, that casual attendance, that mm-hmm. that casual in relationship, you know, hey, brother, and then I, I'm out. Right. I, I got I got to go. Right. And I think that's going to have to change. I, to. I think we're going to have to come back and, and say, man, I have to get involved in community. I need people in my business. Right. I need people that are stretching right. me, right. who are challenging my life and my faith to the gospel. Right. At least that's what I've been feeling for our house Which here. Which means then it's bigger. It's, it's, it's the heart. God's always dealing with the heart. We've talked about it. 
there are some people who think the answer to some of what's going on right now is to legislate, right? But you can't, you said it a couple of weeks ago in your sermon, you can't legislate the heart of man. The heart of man is the domain of God. And that is the place where God does his work. We've just got to open ourselves up to allow him to do that work. And then when we've done that work of self-evaluation, we're praying and asking God what to do, then we got to just step out and do whatever he says. And we have to realize it's not necessarily our individual jobs to change the whole nation. It's my job to reach this guy. It's my job to have connection with this guy. And God will build your circle of influence to whatever he wants it and needs it to be. Our job is to just keep reaching. I've been looking at all this stuff that's going on and I keep saying, you know, we talked about it a little bit. Um, I see the issue of fatherlessness. Oh, yeah. And I recognize that my own shortcomings and opening the door to be a father to those who have none. But that's the gospel. The gospel is true religion is in James chapter one is to uh, be a father to the fatherless and to help the widow. But we're ignoring the orphan. We're ignoring the widow because we've got other things to do. But that's where God is calling us. He's calling us into all of these places. And part of the reason we got here is because we lost sight and lost track of doing the gospel. And that's the thing. And I love how First Peter brings us to this place. He says, whatever gifts he has given you, use those for his purposes. And it doesn't matter what that is. If you cook, cook a meal and invite people over. If you're great at sports, go out and play basketball with some guys. Go get a group of kids and go out and do something like that. We all have something to do. You speak. You're a preacher. You come here and you speak and you teach. That's your thing. I speak and do other things. That's my thing. But then there's some people I know who are great graphic artists, but they're designing these beautiful kingdom things, right? We all have different gifts. We all have different things we can do. If yours is to minister, which means to serve, serve other people. But we've got to use what God has given us to help and love on other people. And we'll begin to see the healing happen. And the only reason that our nation is going to get better is because our church gets better. We recognize that racism and division and so many of these other things that are going on in our world are issues of sin. And if we're dealing with sin, then the answer to sin is Jesus. The world can't fix sin. Only Jesus can do it. So I got a question. If, if, if judgment starts at his house, mm. then I have to start with me as a shepherd of his house. Right. And I'm trying. I, I'm, you know, to everybody that knows me, I, I really say to God, I want to be a man of the word. I want to preach the word. But I... Pastor and Shepherd Robin and I are multiracial. Right. Uh, we, we have Hispanics, Asians, uh, black, white. I mean, we have a, you know, we have a fairly mixed congregation. Um, I, I'm not naive enough to say I don't see color because I think there's beauty in it. Yeah, it's uh, foolhardy to do so. Right. Revelation says I saw people from every tribe, race, language. Right. So obviously, even in, in the eternal realm, the beauty of God is displayed in color. Right. Right. But I also read, and I would like you to just talk about this before we take communion. I also read that in Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile, mm -hmm. which was a big racial division mm -hmm. there, but we're one. 
And to try to build a body of a church on a corner in Douglasville, Georgia, I think I said that to you, you know, that God put this white boy on a corner in a city that's 67%, you know, black. And and I'm thinking, well, do I even have a voice to to this culture and generation? And, and, And then that's when all my friends were just, hey, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. So I think that's what my job is, just preach the gospel. But how do we take, I recognize your race. I respect it. I, I want to hear how do you see it from your perspective uh, as a black man, or now married to a white woman, raising biracial children. And I mean, we've talked through all of that. But you, I would think through our conversations, yeah, you embrace your heritage. I embrace mine. I look out there and I see white people apologizing for being white. And I'm like, well, we should embrace who God made us. Right. But how do we become a body to where the oneness overtakes my race, right. ethnicity? You understand what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yes, yes yeah. I, see, I see your color. I see your heritage. I see, hopefully you see mine as well. But when we come to the table, we're like, but that, that is inferior to this bigger Christ is superior in his body. We're one. Right. And yet that, you know, and I, when I want to preach that, I, I, I have in the back of my head, uh, black people are going to think you don't care about them. If you start mm-hmm. trying to pre, that's just, I'm just telling you what I yeah. think. That, that they're going to think I don't see their plight or their, what they're trying right. to get me to see. If I go, I'll see your black butt. Right. And, and trying to find a balance in a cultural moment, in a racial moment, to be bold with the gospel, but not a jerk. Can I say <laughs> Does that, that make sense? Yeah, I, I think the issue is trying to find balance. Right. I mean, that's just me. Look, I'm black. I love being black. And you got a good beard, too. I wouldn't change being black for anything in the world. There is nothing that would come down right now that if I had the choice to be white or something else, that would make me want to be anything other than being black. I'm okay with being black. Mm -hmm. I'm proud to be black, and I think it makes me very unique in this world, Mm -hmm. and I'm happy. I hadn't always felt that way because there was a time earlier in my life where I believed or was at least led to believe that it seemed like being white had an advantage that being black didn't. Uh, I know people want to call that certain things then, but what I've come to understand, that was when I was a younger man. As an older man, I have come to realize that my advantage is not in the color of my skin, but in the favor of God. See, this is the thing we've got to come to. We've got to realize, I heard somebody say it like this. See, it's not that I am a black Christian. We are, you're a white Christian. You know, you are this kind of Christian and all that. It is that I am a Christian and I'm black. But see, my Christ status always stands first That's because good. who I am in him determines everything else. You might mistreat me for being black, but God will always favor me because I love him and I chase after him. So I've learned as an older man, I've never depended on somebody else to get me where I needed to be. God was always the one who moved me where I was. And if you didn't like me and you were white, I'd rather know you didn't like me and say, well, I won't be spending any time hanging around with Mark too much. You know, I love him as my brother in Christ and I'm gonna pray for him but that might not be where I spend all of my personal time. But I recognize 
who I am in Christ. And that's a journey that you can only go on by laying hold to the foundation and digging in. Once we identify who we are in Christ, we begin to realize that there is beauty all around us and that if God is the creator of all things, he created the Indian, he created the Asian, he created the white, the black, and all points in between. And how foolish would we be to miss the opportunity to enjoy all this diversity yeah, that God has created and invited us to be a part of. I'll just say this last thing. One of the things that was so radical about what Jesus was doing uh, when he came and, and how the church was set up in the book of Acts was that unlike other religions, the church said, here, everyone is equal. There's not a rich and poor, there's not the serf and all this. And we talk about how in Acts, it says that, you know, those who had land sold it to provide for this oh, yeah. people. And these people did this to provide for these people. And the word says, and they had all things common and there was nothing lacking. That was radical for that time because even amongst the Jews, there were the high priest and there were these hierarchies and the elite and all of that. But the gospel is a gospel that says we're all equal and it doesn't matter about our money. It doesn't matter about our wealth or our color or anything. And this one last thing. Yeah. The parable of the Good Samaritan. We see the priest, the Levite, they see the man who's been stabbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And then it's a Samaritan and not a Jewish man. Uh, the most unlikely of the three who stopped and offered aid to that man. And not only did he just help him then, he took him and he took him to a hotel, said, hey, fix this guy up. And when I come back, I'm going to pay for everything he needs. Right now, how did that parable even come into play? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer asked him, who is my neighbor? Jesus shares that parable. And then at the end, he asked this question. He said to the man, so then which of these men was his neighbor? And his response was the one who showed him mercy and compassion. Notice Jesus did not say it was the one who was of the same skin color as you. It was not the one that lived nearest you. It wasn't the one who was of the same gender as you. Your neighbor was the one who showed mercy and compassion on yeah, you. Yeah. And that's where we are as a church. We've got to open, as the word says, our bowels of mercy and compassion. And we've got to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, might, and strength, and love our neighbor, whoever they may be, whatever color they may be, regardless of the issue they have, as we love ourselves. And in hard times like this, the only way we can love our neighbor as ourselves is by loving the Lord God that's first. That's, that's where it anchors at. I love and it. that's the word. I love it. Well, I want to have you pray for people before we do communion sure. and, and just, man, offer a prayer. But as we close, I just want to kind of summarize what I feel in my heart to say to our house. First off, I'm going to talk to, about me first. I'm going to do my best to lead this house and Robin and I and the leaders uh, with an uncompromised love for the word and, and giving you the best I can. If it hurts your feelings and leave, I'll miss you but I don't want you to. I would rather you have a conversation. I would rather you say, I disagree with you. I would rather you to say, I don't see it that way. I'm a big enough fella. I, I like those kind of conversations. 
Um, and it may mean I need to shift what I see in the scripture. But anytime I stand or come to give you the word of God, I'm going to do my best to give it to you uh, in, the, in the most truthful way I can and not let offerings and people and comments deter me from really trying to be bold with the word. And my belief is anybody who would even stand in this house and preach would do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Number two, I want you to look into your life. And I want you to say, God, are there things in me, ways I was raised, fears, perceptions of other people that are hindering me from representing the gospel? Number three, I want you to be a person of word and prayer. I want you to get in the Bible every day. I say that in the Bible reading project. We hope to inspire you to read the Bible. Zero excuse. Get in the Word every day. Read the Bible. If you're, I love what you said about fatherlessness. If, if you're in a family, man, read the Word with your children. Pray more than just now I lay me down to sleep. Man, have prayers with them. Uh, get in there and really let the Lord uh, work. And then I love, man, how you ended. I wish we'd have had more time to talk about that Good Samaritan. But who is your neighbor? Uh, you know, the way, I, the way I translate that, who is your 50 feet? It's the person you'll have mercy and compassion toward. Right. And God has put you right where he is. And I'll just encourage you as you read it. Uh, verse number 10, God has given each of us a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Uh, so use them well yes. to serve one another. God has put you in your 50 feet. Uh, gosh, that may be a housemaker. It may be in a business realm, an entrepreneurial way. Uh, I don't know. But, but God has gifted you in your 50 feet to show mercy and compassion so people know Jesus Christ. Every day you wake up and you go into your life, your neighbor is waiting on you. Yes. They're waiting to hear the message. People will pass them by. People will prejudge them like the priest and the Levite. People, I don't have time. I don't have energy. I don't have the money. But us, as a body of believers here at this house, we have an obligation to own our 50 feet. That means when you walk out the door, God, your prayer, God, give me mercy and compassion. And you know that prayer. I've asked you to pray it. Is Lord, if you can use anything, you can use me. And then this is that mercy, compassion part. And if anybody comes across my path today that needs you, may I ever be so bold to lead them to you. I challenge you this week, read 1 Peter 4 every day, Monday through Saturday. Read it with your children. Uh, Listen to it. Every time you open it, God, speak to me first. And then, I love it, you know, let me love you first and then let me love my neighbor. Take this, devour it, have good conversation over it, talk about it with one another, do it in a loving and compassionate way. I think our house can begin to see a great change and uh, we can really begin to see the gospel come on this corner. So do me a favor, man, David, just encourage the folks as we get ready for communion, bless our communion together, and let's believe that this week ahead of us is going to be a great week. Amen. I was thinking on what you just said, what a great legacy to begin by teaching your children the word. Because ultimately, as we look at our world right now, it is us and our kids that are going to be the ones to carry this good news out to a world desperately in need of it. And one of the beautiful things that the Lord has given us as believers is the communion. And it is the bread that represents his body that was broken for us, that was given for us. What does that mean? That means that God foreknew even these times and said, 
I give myself to you as an answer to this world in this day. He gives us his blood and says, my blood covers you. Why? Because in the midst of all of these things, the blood says we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And because we are in Christ Jesus, we can go to a hurting, hungry world and we can be bread and body to those who are in need. So I pray for you and your families this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit in this time and season. Father, we know that it is not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit that renewal, refreshing, and change will happen, not only in our hearts, but in our homes, our churches, and ultimately our land. So we welcome the Holy Spirit. We welcome your help, Lord, to heal to bring peace and wisdom in this time that it is greatly needed, Lord. Let we, your body, be able to stand boldly before you in the day of judgment and you find us, Lord, exactly as you intended us to be, Lord God. You are our healer and you lead and guide us into all truth for your name's sake, Father. We love you and thank you for healing wounds that are years old, decades old, and even freshly made, Lord God. We ask you to renew the mind of those, Lord God, who are still held captive by old thinking and old belief systems and old ways, Lord God. Create in us a clean heart and renew in us a right spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message.